Hello, and welcome to Disinfect. My name is Matt Deal. I'm the co-host, along with Morris Bernstein. And uh, this is the show where we air out the worst songs in music history. So this is a very special episode of Disinfect. Um, we spent the last uh, episode going over Madonna's version of American Pie, which in a poll by the BBC was voted the worst cover song in history, which is pretty strong. Um, in any event, we like to put our opinions to the test. And so we thought we'd reach out to the creators of American Pie, at least the Madonna version. And so we got in touch with William Orbit, the, the producer, a uh, very famous producer, has worked with Blur, Beck, Kraftwerk, U2, and then also Madonna. He actually produced and co-wrote a lot of Madonna's Ray of Light and music albums. We also talk about Madonna covering ABBA, but she never heard that one. And, you know, he gets into his whole process, and uh, he's just a generally a fascinating guy. So without further ado, here's the Disinfect exclusive interview with William Orbit. Hello. Hello, William. Hello there. How are you? Well, that was easy. Yeah. Yes. The, the, the wonders of science, right? The joys of modern technology. <laughs> so, American Pie. This has been a fascinating one to, to research. Um, okay. I want to preface this by saying that both Morris and I are, are great fans of yours. And, um, and I was really... Very going American through what would you say that's it that's a very american thing to say well, well no but I, but in, in, <laughs> you can, guys you, we can rag on this track without any other context if you like um don't have to say that i mean we're talking no, 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 but but the reason i the reason i say it and and, and is because i i went through your whole catalog I, we basically try to find all the strands and i was like wow you know there's like it, I really had to think about what you do. Um, and it was really great. It was a great experience, you know what I mean? Because every time you start something in a, tr in a track or a song or an album, there's something that contrasts it that is the opposite. That, you know what I mean? So it's like, it'll be intensely modernist, but there's an acoustic guitar. The romantic melody, the technological beat, um, you know, like you've worked very distinctly with vocalists, but then it's also very informed by instrumental music. Um, there's the hand of the artist and then artifice. Uh, it was really, it was really interesting. Um, and it all seems to be an American pie. <laughs> Every It's got all the, it's got the bleep, it's got the wiggling synth, it's got the sorts of little sonic moments. It's everything there. I mean, I've never managed to fit into any prevailing sort of musical zeitgeist even if i've tried and that's a double-edged sword because you know i'm not ever going to be a moment when i'm suddenly cresting the wave but at least everything sort of stands up because i'm honestly in a bubble i mean i live my life in a bubble and the music gets done in a bubble it's in the moment and i don't do a lot of pop listening so you know i stand and fall by that what, you know, what do you guys, what do you I, listen to I, I, what do I you listen to, to? I was well, classical at the moment, um, but listen, I, I was going to, I was expecting to offer up a humble mea culpa for, you know, bad karaoke, <laughs> but I realised I've not listened to this song since it's done. I haven't, I just haven't. And not I, once? No. And I quite enjoyed it, you know, I mean, I thought it was quite a... Well, yeah, tell, it, tell us how it took you back. Like what did... Uh... <clears throat> well... 
I, I was surprised by what good business it did. I didn't didn't know. You know, I was what was it two thousand, wasn't it? I was in such a bubble. I wasn't. I was living in America. I wasn't really listening to the pop charts in the UK, so I didn't really know. Lots was going on, but you got to remember this was a piece of music for a film, and there was pressing need for time, you know, expediency, and that's that could be why it got released because Madonna is not shy of dropping tracks. We've dropped so many tracks that never got released. Um, we, we did a cover version of an ABBA song. We, uh, an obs- fairly obscure ABBA song called Like an Angel Passing Through My Room. And we, we orchestrated it. We got a full orchestra to do it and it was um, all ready to be released and, and she decided not to. And there was no time for such consideration on this one because it was all in a hurry to get it ready for the film. That's, that's films for you. Pacing and dynamics. So, you know, it was, it was a hurry. It's interesting because because in, in researching how the song came together, Madonna sort of disavowed the song in um, in hindsight. Uh, she left it off the greatest hits record, um, and there's a lot of talk that like that she was pressured into it, that executives wanted it on the soundtrack album, on 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 actually on I think the European edition of music, um, and I, I can't see Madonna being pressured into anything. No. I mean, maybe when she owns her own record company as well. It's like it's just not. She doesn't have A and R in the room. You know, when there's right, she, she doesn't. It, everything's done on her decision making. But it was a film in which she was involved, and there were a lot of other. You know, like Beautiful Stranger, which came. I'm not sure if Beautiful Stranger. You know, we did that for the Austin Powers movie in which she wasn't involved, so it was very straightforward. This one, she had a lot of involvement in um, my my best friend. No, what was it? Uh, the next best thing. Next best thing. And yes, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to be involved in a movie, producing and acting, and you know, so involved. And that would have made it much more complicated, you know, in terms of commitment and everything. Well, and also too, you can't have a Madonna movie and not have a big Madonna song on it. Yes, yes. I I did enjoy. I look. I I. It was it was nice to go back. I like the video. You know, she's got back carefree hippie crazy yeah. hair you know video's good. Hair and she's enjoying it uh-huh. and there's all those clips. and the video is good too it pushes those madonna buttons of like uh, you know pushing the boundaries of sexuality um which i think is really important probably the first time well if it was an, i know they cut it from some territories but be the first time anybody saw a gay kiss you know on, mm-hmm. on screen. might be their first time seeing seeing that you know, there was a point. There was a point, wasn't there? Once, you know, when somebody had to see that, um, and that could have been it. Every video, like there's, you know, the first time you see a black Jesus <laughs> was probably Madonna for a lot of people. You now, know, is, is is there a reason why you never listened to it after you recorded it, or is that something that you do with all your songs, or was that just for American Pie? I. Sometimes get squeamish about these things. <laughs> matter of time. I mean, I'm I'm quite a lazy person. You know, I like I sort of things just I kind of drift and things happen or they don't. But I have been very diligent with making music, and I've done an awful lot. I mean, actually, I've just realised recently was going into YouTube. You know, and there isn't time. Um, one forgets. One just forgets. Simple as that. You know, why would I? And then I did. And I, you know, I, I, I really like um, the memory of it because it was a, it was a, it was a, 
it's a jolly track to do. We did it quite, look, and it's quite jolly. I know there's that very um, nostalgic kind of echo on the vocal and everything, which is nice because it is a nostalgic track, but it was quite jolly in the studio. And I have to say, working with Madonna can be quite stressful because we're working so hard to make it so good. I mean, studio life can be stressful when you're really pushing for ex, you know, excellence. But whenever the guitar came out, whenever I got my guitar out, things would always lighten up. She really likes... This is before she learned to play it herself. And she just liked having the guitar out. She'd say things like, channel your inner angry teenager, William. And I would. And it, so I did all that twangling guitar <laughs> without really thinking about the lyrics. It was just like, ah, I've got the chords. I'm going to just twang away. I've got free license to just go into that kind of happy place we have when we have guitars out. And listening back, you know, to it, um, the mix was done by this guy, Spike Stent, and he pushed that guitar mm -hmm. up. I was... It just brought back memories of twangling away in the studio in a carefree way. So, so it brought back happy memories. you Hank I, Marvin, I, yes. That's what I was going to say, Hank Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it's about, you know, the sixth the music didn't die. I'm sorry, I have to take issue, but, you know, it, it woke up around then. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I remember as a child the 60s music. I, none of these references, um, I mean, I didn't really listen to Buddy Holly. I had, this would have been on the radio when I was a young child. And frankly, I wouldn't know what a Leve was or a Chevy, you know, I'm in a brain. <laughs> I couldn't Neither go to- did I, yeah. Didn't know. I, I imagine you were listening to Stockhausen at the, when this came out. <laughs> Actually, yes, that's my parents were listening to some, well, more, more, I would not stop. Well, Stockhausen is unlistenable to me. It was more like Benjamin Britten. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a very- Benjamin Britten. Totally classical environment in my upbringing. So pop was a guilty pleasure. And of course, there wasn't much chance of listening. You listen to the, if you could sneak a radio and listen to the pop music of the 60s, it's pretty horrible. Well, wasn't your brother, didn't he turn you on to Hendrix? Is that right? Uh, school friend. So Hendrix is your sort of pop gateway drug, right? Absolutely. I mean, you, you had to have a friend who had an older brother who had a job. Who could afford to buy records there was so much money you weren't going to hear it on the radio chances are all the other people in your class weren't into progressive music like cream and hendrix and um it was ever such a lot of money i mean you know 10 weeks of pocket money to buy an album mm -hmm. right. very very different impossible to convey that to anybody today yeah and as far as the, fifth, the references that Don McLean makes, it's an, it's an alien world. And I did, it just didn't register. So when we did the song, you know, it was more like a musical piece of music. It wasn't, it wasn't I don't think Madonna or myself were particularly hung up on the lyrics. Socially, socially connected to what they were saying. Well, you know, it's funny. I, so so um, I'm, I'm from sort of the Midwest where Madonna's from. Um, and well, you have a connection with Madonna, Matt. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. I, I, I dated a woman who went to college with Madonna, which is a, it's, a, it's an ongoing joke with Morris here. Um, no, but uh, this song in particular, if you're an American of a certain age, um, I mean, this is, and I'm, I was like seven years old, I think, when this song came out. But it was so totemic. It was so inescapable. Um, and also, if it came on, like, you, you know, you could go off and, like, eat dinner and you come back and it's still on the radio. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so 
for for people growing up in that area in America, especially, I mean, it's so heavy with the American influence, you know, the references. And then I was, and then Morris was saying, he's like, it was just as big in England. Um, but did you, did you experience it that way as well? Or Well, it would have been on, you know, everybody was whistling. It was a big hit, but I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't caught up in that huge debate about the lyrics. I mean, as, as lyrics for a pop song is concerned, there's probably more, speculation and and, and uh, critique and exposition on this than you know any other lyric um i don't remember any of that. and i think in england vincent was a bigger bigger hit for him starry, starry, starry yeah yeah starry starry night, starry, starry night was a Which, big i think a bigger hit yeah that's right and actually i remember starry starry night i loved it i just mm-hmm. loved it i didn't know he didn't even think i even knew vincent van gogh was but i loved yeah. it nice to love a song that was on pop radio back in in that day you know and there's a third isn't there a third one that he did that what's that was you know another massive beautiful wonderful there was vincent there was oh he did crying by uh by roy orbison and he did the skyliners since i don't have you that's that way he was so chill about madonna's version he he did himself well i think he was also he saw the he saw the cash registers going ka-ching i mean you know that's uh, I mean, it's a huge compliment for, for Madonna also to cover your song. Um, I, I, I mean, uh, uh, William, do you remember Crackerjack? Crackerjack! Yeah. Then, and there was, a, there was a character on there called Don McLean. It's oh. Oh, so you know why I said Crackerjack? Of course, Crackerjack pencil. Because every time they said the word Crackerjack, all the <laughs> you had to re- You had to repeat, you had to shout it, yeah. Well, I, I thought Don McLean was Don Don McLean from Crackerjack <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> we didn't know stuff. There was no internet. It wasn't like right. pop culture in the library. Chances are radio just, you know, DJs, there was nothing where people would explain stuff. And so you, you, just, you just didn't know. You didn't know jack about anything apart from what you heard. I mean, like me, you could sort of like listen to it and not really engage with the lyrics. When the original came out, you know, obviously it referenced um, Buddy Holly. It referenced, uh, and I, you know, Altamont, JFK's assassination. Um, and then, and then when you guys did it in two thousand, I was like, okay, so why was this song sort of coming around in in two thousand? And it was like. That was like Y4K. Like it's like every time there's sort of like doomsday, sort of apocalyptic vibes, American Pie gets wheeled out, and then you know I think it's actually now just getting revived again. It's 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 there's a whole there's a documentary coming out. Um, it's sort of hitting the zeitgeist again, and I feel like we're in the apocalypse again. I'm, I'm you know. I was going to say I did this um, critique of. Um, all Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix for this art exhibition. There's this painter that's been painting sleeves. He paints a very, very faithful image of the seven-inch bags that these were things, and it's a big exhibition, big book, and they wanted a few words from me because they knew I loved Jimi Hendrix. And as with American Pie, I read the lyrics off the page for the first time, you know, Bob Dylan's lyrics um, read beautifully off the page. And it was very nice to read the American Pie lyrics off the page as poetry. I was a lonely teenage bouncing butt with a pink carnation and a pickup truck, all these fantastic lines. Mm -hmm. Um, One doesn't normally do that. And 
it struck me that there is a similar kind of sense of foreboding and dark unease about the future in both of these songs, which is obviously, you know, we've got this, everybody feels that right now. We're in, we're in a, a global disaster, which we don't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. No, oh, it'll be over when it's over, you know, the wall, but, you know, peace will be declared and we'll get there somehow. We, we don't know where this is going. And it's, it's put every thought that everybody has has got this, tinged with this, you know, this sense of, oh God, it's put the kibosh on everything I can think of. It's clouded everything. And there's a sense of anxiety and, and unease about the future. And perhaps that's why songs like this are resonating right now. They don't make it too obvious, you know, it's, it's occluded, but it's there. It's in the poetry. And it's, and I think your point is excellent because, um, you know, when American Pie came out, I think Nixon was president or just about getting booted. And obviously Vietnam was sort of endless, you know, the way that coronavirus feels sort of endless right now. Um, I think, you know, we were sort of trapped. And also I think, and also like the seventies, the promise of the sixties maybe hadn't been what we thought it was going to be. Do you know what I mean? There was all this sort of like hangover. Um, and I think we're sort of in that place now. And, I, and and again, I think when you when you made the record, there was there was a bit of that that we sort of forget. There was like the, you know, the cyber. Um, it, I think we had a big fear of technology at that time taking us over. I don't know if you uh, you know did, did okay. know if, it was a huge worry, wasn't it? It didn't happen. No, <laughs> everybody's everybody's computer was going to explode at midnight, and it. <laughs> but it, you really had that dread, and you know, and you had like pundits pundits sort of going off about it and uh i mean again it's this generational i'm, I'm going to use a french word here malaise um and it kind of cycles back every time and, and and also i think madonna is often there for generational things too you know i i had my first blank you know listening to madonna it's it, it's iconic in that way so i'm curious so to, to tell me about how the song actually came about um I remember, I remember reading that you were, you get, you sort of got the assignment and then kind of put it off for a long time. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds like me. Um, I do tend to put things off until the last moment and then go into overdrive. My friend Rico Conning, we, I had a band. I still, we still have a band called Torch Song, and he mm. was the one that did all the kind of laid out the chords in MIDI for me. I, I mean, I'm happy to do that, but it was so pressed for time. He kindly did that and laid them out, and then I had a MIDI file. I love Rico's band, The Lines, by the way. Oh, man. You are so researched. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a post-punk, uh, you know, nerd. But yes, I am terribly researched, yes. His Continue, song, sorry. White Lines, is um, such a terrific song. Rico's a real talent. You know, both Rico Conning, Laurie Mayer, they, they never get the full credit, really. They should for the Torch song. Um, you know, people always sort of say it's William's project, but it's... It's our project, you know, but he did this, laid out the MIDI for me. So I had a nice MIDI file. And often the case with things like that, I get very musical. You know, it's like all about the chords and wiggling around and stretching out those changes into any, you know, oblique way I can do it. And I don't think I, I don't think I listened to the, I'm going to say another thing. I think last night was the first time I actually listened all the way through to the original American Pie song. <laughs> one doesn't I, you know it's just something i you know i i love i love poetry i'm a you know my father was an english literature teacher i love poetry but yeah i can 
completely switch off from lyrics when I'm when I'm in a musical mode and it all becomes about music because because even if you, whatever you think of this track you know and any cover to me it's kind of bad news to mess with the chords that's absolutely absolutely not okay and I never like it when top line melodies get changed so whatever I do and whatever direction I take it there's always that melodic um oh what's the word you know when you adhere to the kind of molecular truth of something you know really it might be a, a note that's miles off in terms of its octave or its positioning but it's the right note and i was playing around in that way i was in a musical framework preparing this track for madonna and then we went, we went and did the vocals and i have to say i don't think either of us spent a lot of time really examining the original she she picked the verses she picked i mean it, I, I mean for eight minutes isn't original's eight and a half minutes long and he takes his time doesn't he i mean he starts yeah. off with this he meanders there's this sort of like tinkling piano it's like no hurry to get going eight and a half minutes it probably beats bohemian rhapsody is the longest yeah. oh yeah i mean i think it has more parts than bohemian it makes carry on my wayward son seem like uh you know like a ramon song yeah and madonna's version is just clocks in something like four and a half minutes. I mean, it's not, it's not a, it's not a little, it's not a slip of a song. How did she, how did she choose those particular verses? Were they just the ones that meant the most to her? I think, I think really the ones that resonated with her, you know, about the dancing. Um, I tell you one thing, she's a, she's a really good drummer. She's got, she's, she's got a great sense of rhythm. I knew she was a drummer. Everybody knows Madonna was a drummer in her youth, you know, in a band. Right. But when she, learned to play acoustic guitar some years later it was when i realized what a great sense of rhythm she's got she's, she's just something that you have it or you don't and she has a terrific sense of rhythm the way she plays her guitar because her phrasing of her, her vocal phrasing is madonna it's just unique but you wouldn't go wow that's great rhythm in that you, you you'd, you'd see it on other aspects but when she plays guitar you think that's somebody with a sense of rhythm and so there's that line about the drum she really wanted to play a snare drum she really wanted to do a snare drum on that so you know, the line about the drum obviously appealed to her. I, I can't, you know, I, I don't recall. Did she get a snare drum out? She may have. I I, I forget. Um, I mean, obviously the song became controversial. And I think part of the controversy is, like, if you're going to make a dance track, you know, would you make like a 4-4 dance track out of like The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway? <laughs> you know what I mean? It would be like... How, how would you even do Bohemian Rhapsody? You know what I mean? Like the, the arrangement is challenging for a dance track. You wouldn't. I, I heard this really great cover version of Beautiful Stranger the other day. I, I wish I could remember the name of the band. It was really dark and gloomy and off kilter. It was terrific. Um, how, would, nobody would do, nobody would dare to do Bohemian Rhapsody unless it was a, you know, it was a sort of weird Al Yankovic version. I mean, there's a kind of dial, isn't there? You know, the... I think of it as you go down, it gets worse and worse and worse until it becomes funny. And, and it, it's really all about the intent. It's about the seriousness of how you do. If you're going to do a cover, you, you have to be, if you're, sort of, if you're too sort of respectful, if you're too earnest, it can go horribly wrong. If you treat it as a joke, it can go horribly wrong. But there's a point when it gets like, hello, this is a great joke. It's actually funny. I mean, you know, it's a laugh. Um, I think with this American Pie, it's quite naive, you know. I, I'm not defending it, but I don't feel cringy about it. And I would say, I would say, I'll be honest with you, if I, if I, I would straight away tell you that, I mean, there's things I've done that I really dislike, um, I would say, but 
I just think we had a bit of a bounce doing it. There is rather a lot of Rupert. Um, and I did read a review. I read a review. I was looking at a couple of reviews and one person says something. He says, it feels like awkward marking time here, waiting for a misguided song to end. I think that's talking about the drummy bits. And that, I do feel is right. There's a little bit of gratuitous marking time. And, and Rupert, bless him, he's got a lovely voice, but there's rather a lot of that. Right. Rupert may be the downfall of the track, if I may be so so blunt. Well, uh, it was, wasn't it his suggestion, so he definitely is uh, responsible. I mean, he's a very, very, very funny man, very droll. He's terrific, actually. He's a good, and he's got a great voice. We did another song called Ariozo, never released, in which he sings. And you think, well, a guy like that could easily have been a pop icon himself if he had gone that way. Another maverick. What a maverick. I think if you look at actors in the world, Rupert's really trodden a very interesting path himself. And yes, they were, they were pals and he, he did a bang up job. But yes, there's a little bit too, maybe there's a bit too many embellishments there from him. It's a lot of um, extra in the song, which is kind of spectacular. I mean, I think, again, it, um, the reason why we're talking about it today, it's, it's not a shrinking violet. You know what I mean? It's all there. They went for it. You went for it. You know, like it's, um, it's you know, Shing's deep. Um, it, it was a bold, and uh, you know, that's so. Even even the people that sort of you know take issue with it, it's memorable in that way. Yeah, we we and we were fast back then. We'd done, you know, we we got the hang of working together, you know, down, you know, into this goodness knows how many songs we've done. So we worked pretty swiftly. So there wasn't. Um, time to to go back and do the usual. I mean, we might listen with my tracks. I, I can spend a year or two sort of reviewing and re, re, re-jigging and adding in stuff all the time. Um, we, we worked it pretty swiftly. Not a bad listen if you, you put the headphones. I mean, I always recommend a listen listen on the headphones and you know, sort of hear the sonicy bits and ear candy. If it was not a cover. You know, that's why we're talking about it. If it wasn't a cover, or if you just heard it and didn't, well, no one's not heard American Pie, but if you had, imagine you listened to it for the first time, you just probably think, well, it's a jolly boppy poppy twangle of a ditty. Um, She sings brilliantly on it, and it's got all the sonic moments. Um, that was, you know, it's interesting. I was just listening to it on headphones before we we we, we talked. You, you do such a cool synth thing underneath. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's super cool, and, and I, I didn't. It didn't really hit me until I heard. I mean, it's there, obviously, and it's it's moving. But there was a lot in the headphones that it. it I mean, I think your stuff in general. Um, it, it headphones pay dividends, if that makes any it's sense. It's my favorite thing when somebody comes up and years, decades later, and says, "Hey, William, you know that song you did?" Did did. I was just listening the other day and I heard this thing in it I'd never heard before. And that's always like, ah, oh, great, bingo. That was the idea. You know, it was meant to be that way. Um, popping in things, little little hidden things. I, do, I like to do that, little musical thing and everything. And always, always melodic. Madonna, Madonna's unique. A lot of people I've worked with over the years, musicians have, have testified that they would, you know, she's their ideal and they would love to, you know, really, really well-known, established female artists say, oh, you know, Madonna's my idol and she's my reference point and I want to be able to be like her. And I, and I always feel, well, well, you can be like her to a degree if you work the way she does with music. When she's writing 
not covers, but when she's writing, she's a really good top line writer and she really understands the music. And I can't quite put it, but she'll hear something buried in the track, some sort of clash of two instruments that kind of yields this sort of like acoustic optical illusion of a sort of ghost of a tune. And she'll take that and develop it in a way I've never known any other top line artist to do. She doesn't just put her thing on top of something. Right, I've got the key, you've got the tempo, now I'm going to just do what I do. She really gets inside the music in a very intelligent way. And that's, it's rare. I wish more would. You know, it's interesting is, is about this song in particular at, it, and, and your work with Madonna is, is, is when it, you know, just going, moving, um, doing sort of reverse engineering a little bit. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's also an overwhelming song because it, 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 it basically encapsulates sort of all of your work with Madonna up to that point, you know, um, it's got some of the guitars of Beautiful Stranger. It's it's got the the the, the sort of the the ravier aspects of Ray of Light. I'm tell tell me about you know your work with Madonna up to that point. And I mean, I you guys started. She was turned on to you. Was it Caroline Lavelle's record that she was? Man, you're scary. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. I'll come back to that. Um, but, uh, you know, one, one should acknowledge that this marked the shift as really this was the pivot, really, when she turned into, you know, away from what I was doing and music, obviously, the other half of music is in mirror ways. And mirrors had this mm-hmm. really awesome, clicky, clean, sexy, compelling sound, which I, I couldn't do. And she, you know, the song music typifies that. And that's where she wanted to go. And, and kind of my jangling guitars and sort of um freewheeling synth style wasn't you know she she was moving away from that so that really marks the turn um there you go you know that's that's how she is but you know it's really in a way it's like before american pie and after and you can hear that but how it started was i was doing like tons of remixes i you know i've had this record deal with mars copeland in the beginning of the 80s irs records irs yeah and it was misguided i mean um we sold about two records and miles put a lot of money into it enabling us did your did your did your first solo record come out on irs too yes so it's torch song and 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 by the way which has a cover of love my way by the psychedelic furs it does does. jay boberg my goodness jay (laughs) he's in he's in the wine business now (laughs) jay boberg is so many yeah, Miles Copeland, um, what a character. And he, yeah. he did a label IRS and he, he published me as well. And we did all this and he put a lot of money into it and enabled us to buy a 24-track studio, which was unheard of. You, That's the original Gorilla Studios, right? Yeah, in, 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 we'd been living in a squat in a school in, 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 in Paddington. We moved into a, up the road into a house and then bought a 24-track rig, which was rare. You just didn't get 24 tracks were hugely, you know, studios were very, very expensive and it cost a fortune to, 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 to rent for artists. There was no home recording of any sort of serious. Did you buy like an SSL board? Was that what you? No, a Trident. Trident, 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 right. 24 track machine and really went to town. This is a lot, a huge amount of money. We could have bought a huge house for what we spent on it. (laughs) And of course we became busy. You know, with, with, with artists, um, you could, you know, constantly, constantly was busy. So when the band sort of failed and that fell apart, 
I didn't want to lose the studio. So I, I went commercial. I rented it out as a working concern, renting it out to people to come in and make their records. And I'd work at night, um, did a night shift. And that's how they mix. And it was a time of mixes. Everybody had to do remixes and they, they would pay for them. And so I started, did one, did another one. And then it became, I was the go-to remix guy. And I was remixing like mad. And you were also, I think, remixing in the sort of the, the nascent electronic dance style of the time. Yeah, it, it, let's think it was turning into... 87, that. 88, is that about... Yeah, yeah, it was before... I mean, you know, when I started, Remix really meant the, the song with just, you know, the same song at the beginning and the end with this, like, four-minute bongo solo in the middle. That was right. the, yeah. Remix. And then I, Although okay. Jack Kevorkian, not Jack Kevorkian, Francis Kevorkian. <laughs> Jack Kevorkian would be an amazing remixer. Um, <laughs> That's uh, okay. Yeah, he was the idol. He was the he was the don. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I remember the 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 ABC Zillionaire remix was one of the most abstract sort of, which I, it sort of took like the Francois K aesthetic to commercial. I guess D dance music wasn't so picky. You know, you didn't have to be so format driven with it, so you could do anything really. And I I would do anything. And mix remixing helped me to learn how to produce because i'd get all these multi-tracks and they'd be like oh this is how people record stuff wow whoa, i'm getting right into the heart of this so i was learning my stuff really and i teamed up with rob dickens who, who ran Warner. warner's and his brother's the big uh, promoter he, um his father was big around the enemy and was a printer and his nephew jonathan Simon. manages uh, adele yeah and and Rob's a sort of huge force in 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 music. I mean, he's been a he's been instigated many many things. Adele, by the way, big Ray of Light fan. Big Ray of Light fan. Who is Adele? Oh, massive. Well, of course, people are always saying, William, why didn't you just do another Ray of Light? And of course, yeah, right, I'll do one next week, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, Thursday, okay. Well, I think though, I think someone like Adele, what she responded to to it is is I. Th Ray of Light is an incredible record because it's it's incredibly danceable, but it's an incredibly personal record. It's rhythmic in the way that a great Madonna record is. But, you know, she really invested into the spiritual aspect. I mean, it, even if you don't understand it, you feel it. Um, and also I think she tied into the spiritual aspect of, of the dance music of the day as well with her own. I'd love to do this. I mean, Adele's one of these rare show-stopping voices. I've, I've been in places shops that have my hair done or something like that and a song hers come up every kind of goes quiet you know there's, there's all the chat and music's going on and then a song by her comes on and you realize that everybody's really listening and then it goes quiet She's i thought you were going to do some tracks with her or did you or no no, no not met her even huh I've, you right. know, I know i know lots of people you know we have lots of friends in common i think but i've never actually encountered her personally so I'm sorry, I, I cut you off though. You were talking about doing remixes and how you got yeah, well, there. Yeah, doing tons of these remixes and then I did the remix to justify my love. And what had happened was um, she, it was all done with cassettes. You know, you, 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 you sent dats and things with the actual mix. But I remember sending a cassette with my phone number on it. I lived in Crouch End in North London and the phone number was on it and then it went over and- It was an unsolicited remix. No, no, I, this was a, 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 I did an authorised remix for Warner Brothers of Justify My Love for Madonna. And that's when Rob was running Warner's UK. That's right, he set it all up. Yeah. Because Rob was the person that 
he, he, you know, he, Rob, put, Rob introduced me to Madonna. Rob, Rob was the one that had me do all the classical thing. It was totally down. Yeah, he, he, um, he got you to do uh, pieces in a modern style, right? Yeah, that's totally Rob's idea. But he was also responding to your love of classical music as well, I think. Yes, I was going to do a, actual covers of things. I mean, I did a cover version of Harry Flowers, which is this Jack Nisha piece um, from the film performance. And I was going to do it and call it elevator music and make it all very much like sorts of film music versions. And Rob said, go classical. And he introduced me to Arlo Pett and took me to see him play. Mm. Go classical, William, and there's this huge classical repertoire. And then I did on Rob's advice. But I love the Sansen. The Sansen on that record is amazing. Aquarium. You know, Sansen and and is it Debussy? They like. Sanson is the way to say it. Sanson. Sanson. My French is sucking. Are we getting the car? But he he was the one. So, So, what had happened was. Taking the timeline on a bit, you know, 97, early 97, Madonna's working with Nelly Hooper, and that's the man who's going to make her next record. She's just come off the back of Evita, which hadn't done great business. Um, you know, it'd been, no, no album by Madonna's ever lost money for Warners, but, but there's comparative levels. I mean, some, you know, two million instead of whatever she knew right. I did. But, you know, it was a bit of a sort of, um, hiatus there and she had Nellie Hooper who was massive at the time and, and the whole Bjork thing and for some reason that didn't something happened they, they didn't click they started and then they didn't I th- think a few of those songs ended up somewhere but I, I, wasn't she sort of coming off of a record I, I get the sense with Madonna that Human Nature wasn't that right yes yeah Human Nature and and like she'll she'll work with somebody deeply, and then she starts to sort of transition, where she sort of keeps a foot in it, but then she's finding a new, like kind of like what you were saying about music, in a way. That's right. That's right. It's a very good point. You make a good point. She does sort of transition um, as she's making these changes, but with with this particular instance, I think it was a quite, quite a, you know, a quite a determined cut off. Something happened. I don't know. You know, people um, go their separate ways, but there was no. You know, it was like, oh, we haven't got a producer, and then. My name came up, and apparently that this cassette was in a kitchen drawer of hers, and she, Rob, suggested William, and was like, "Who's this William again?" And I think her that's right. Her manager, Freddie Deman, mm-hmm. had had passed this cassette to her. So suddenly, like, well, where's William? And, of, this, and, of this remix of "Justify My Love." Yeah, and on this remix, on this cassette, you know, which was just my kind of courtesy copy for the artist, is my phone number just scrawled on it, as I would do. Just you do. And that's how they got my number. And I literally picked up the phone um, in the spring, and it was Madonna on the end of the phone saying, "Would you, would you like to do?" Oh, I know what had happened. Actually, Guy O'Siri, who I didn't know, it was this, this this man who was to do with Madonna, had been leaving messages on various voicemails of mine saying, "Would you send some material to Madonna?" And I, I didn't. So I didn't just remotely see myself as in Madonna world. And so I didn't. And my friend Laurie kept saying, look, wh- wh- why don't you send that album? That's right. Is this Laurie McKenna? Laurie Mayer. Oh, Laurie, May- oh, Laurie Mayer from Torch Song. Right. So yeah. yeah, it's really hard to get the chronology of these things right. I'm not, you know, I've never written it down, but that's right. I, I'd made records for Rob. I'd done this whole Engram label and making instrumental records. I did a record called Hinterland in 95. And then I'd, carried on working in the studio as I do compulsively and I had another one ready to go an album a, you know a solo album a strange cargo another strange cargo to, to 
or whatever I was going to call it, to follow from Hinterland. So this is around nine. So about I've made this record, Hinterland, instrumental record, like I do, 95 on Warner's. And I've got another one, you know, a year and a bit later, I've got another one ready to go. And it just didn't connect with Rob. He just wasn't feeling it. And so I had this, these tracks. And um, then, then there's this man, Guy Osiri, who I don't know, ringing up, leaving voice messages, saying, have you got anything to send Madonna? And then I'm kind of ignoring it because I'm a bit like that. I get very spaced out. And then my friend Laurie's driving around saying, look, William, why, why didn't you send that, you know, you're a dat of all these tracks you've got to this man, which I did. And then I got the call from Madonna a, a few days later saying, I like what you've sent me. Would you like to turn it into an album? So they were kind of like loops, right? They weren't totally arranged. They, they, were, they were very, they were very, many of them were very, um, that's not to say we Embryonic. Didn't yeah. I mean, they varied from, we, we, we worked from, we worked for months on Ray of Light. So, you know, we didn't just take tracks that existed and just stick a vocal on top. However, many of the tracks were pretty formed, it, you know, um, depending on the track. Well, there was that one track too, right? That, uh, that it was like a folk, Ray of, was it Ray of Light was a folk song. I forget the, the remember there was a bit of a, the, the, it was, I don't think it was a big deal with publishing, but they, like you, you thought it was written by someone else. Um, okay. That's, that's, I, I've done this instrumental track, this banging guitar thrash, one of my show off tracks. That's when there's a studio full of people and I get the guitar out and sort of just show off. That's when I do my best stuff, you know, it's like, um, cause I'm very nitpicky when I make music and I do it piece by piece and assemble it as a sort of architecture. But I also get very spontaneous and can just jam stuff down. It's a combination and that's, that's what I do. And Ray of Light was, was me having a monster jam in the studio with my guitars cranked up very loud. And so I had this track. So imagine Ray of Light without any vocals on it. And then I was working with this singer, Christine Leach, and she came in and she sang on top of my track, this folk song that a relative of hers had written and teased it out. And then, so she kind of literally grafted on this folk song with her great vocal chops, this, this lady, Christine Leach onto my banging track and then I did my usual thing when I take the vocals and you know do the old production stuff to it and that was Ray of Light and um, it was on it was part of the collection of tracks that Madonna got and of course Madonna just jumped on that one and then took it all the way home and Madonna did a fantastic vocal on that I mean she sang higher than she's ever sung I think you said something about that like she she was coming off of Vita so her vocal chops were just crazy and and she really like went up a semitone i think on that song yeah, she was never able to get easily that high note alive um you know you, you she got it first take in the studio but you know there was it could have been off you could have she could have could have wobbled it um live you know you don't want to take that chance yeah she 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 was her vocal was in such tip-top physical shape and she was she she is always in physical shape herself she's very fit I, and again, like I think, I think what again, what's interesting about Ray of Light and music. I mean, and, and we forget that this was sort of like the moment that electronic music was supposed to blow up in, especially in the states. People were like, oh my god, you know, Chemical Brothers is going to be the new Led Zeppelin in America. Oh, you know, and it really took Madonna to do it. And not only that, I, you know, again, you were a fairly avant-garde producer at the time um, yeah, from God. i mean i think you you were you were you were you were on warner but you were f 
pretty underground in a sense. I mean, I, you know, I, I, you, you were a proper things first. And I don't, I mean, it sounds awfully, um, you know, immodest of me to say so, but I'm, it's always been a thing. I mean, I'll, I'm so disconnected from what's going on musically that I just invent things all the time. And, you know, sometimes it turns out you know, maybe I'm the first person to have done it and somebody comes along and maybe does it better later. I mean, um, somebody has to do it, you know, first, but it, I, I'm, I'm saying, I mean, honestly, that, often does happen. It happens when you don't really clock into what's going on around you. You do what you do and you get, you know, fighting a you know, chance, you bang a couple of ideas out and you get to be the first one to do it. And there's a bit of that on Ray of Light. I mean, um, you know, the configuration of that track is, well, I don't think there's anything had gone before. So lucky me, you know, lucky us, we got to be, you know, the ones that kind of like landed in that pocket first. It, it, the thing about the song Ray of Light, it's a jam. It's a jam. Madonna's not a jammer. She's not somebody that does. Um, can't help me. My 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 lexicon is failing me again. Word. Come on. What's that word? Impro- improvisation. Extemporization. Extempor. <laughs> what do they call it? Extempor. 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 Extemporaneous. Extemporaneously. Well, Im- improv. She doesn't. She doesn't improv. She doesn't. She doesn't scat. She's, she's not. She's, she doesn't Amy Winehouse it out. No, she does. Listen, as a person, she's utterly quick-witted on the moment. I mean, you see her on telly and she's just like, bang, fast, quick. And, but with music, she's, she's not a jammer. A guitar solo is a dirty word. Yeah. And what a wonderful thing a good guitar solo is. I mean, it's like... I know, yeah. great. <laughs> but anyway, she, but she jammed it. I mean, she jammed, she, you could, there's, a version, there's versions all over the internet of different versions of it. And there's ones where we get to the end of the song and she's literally going into this freewheeling operatic crazy look what i just did i mean absolutely she's laughing i mean it was like the whole song was this jam i mean that synth that kind of flying synth was just one tape on me jamming with everybody sort of bopping around and it went listen you're in a studio and you're on a roll the things just go where they want to go and everybody's loving it and you know it's and she and her vocal was was like that too extraordinary it was actually sort that's a song that when i knew i wasn't going to get kind of fired because i always every day thought i was gonna you know i was really like the rookie didn't know how to work SSL or any of those desks. I've never used automation. None of those things. I'd never didn't have Pro Tools. Um, I was really winging it. My, my gear burnt. One of my rigs. Oh yeah! Didn't off. she get pissed off one time? It like broke, and you, and she's like, "William, what the fuck?" She thought somebody was smoking a cigarette. She's sitting in front of me, and I'm behind her. She's at a mixing desk, and she thought <laughs> somebody was smoking, and it was actually my because I was using an Atari games computer held together by sellotape. Well, that was the clock, right? Wasn't that the clock? <laughs> with the clock and I think probably my Atari probably was so saturated with nicotine from my own <laughs> smoking like chimneys in my studio in London you know so when it caught fire that's probably smelled like a cigarette spliffs and, uh, I'm not going to say but, but uh, it, it wasn't like I was really on firm footing technically I, I was muddling through and she she got a little impatient with me several times and but when Ray of Light when we kind of mixed it and I think a brother came down with some mates and listened to it and were whooping it up in the studio and it's like yeah, we, we, we got a good in here. We, we kind of knew that we were onto something. That was, that was when, I'll be honest with you, people started whispering the word Grammy, which Did you feel the pressure of working with Madonna? I mean, as far mm. as, did you, did you feel pressured? Like, uh, just the experience, like thinking, oh my God, I'm, you know. Yeah. Or, 
physically right. usually i mean i was actually almost died that winter of flu i was so burnt out i mean i've never done anything like it there's four months right four solid months yeah and going back to the thing no a and r there was no you know it was it was in the studio up there in burbank it would be madonna myself the engineer larrabee La yeah larrabee north very, very posh studio very nice furniture tape hop engineer um, pretty much that was it in the studio. Very, very in a bubble. Um, no A&R anywhere near the project at all. Not, there was not a molecule of this got out. There was no internet. There were no phones with, with recorders on. So it really was the most kind of pure experience as making an album you can get. And, it was the pure uh, artist. And technically speaking, it was, I was, um, you know, I was playing so much of it and being the co-producer and, um, it was very hard. I, I found it very stressful indeed. I can't, but uh, I, was, I mean, she, I, it wouldn't have happened if she hadn't pushed me very hard. She had to push. She pushes very, very hard. I mean, it hurts, um, but it's the only way you're going to get it, it done. The thing, again, getting back to, I think, what you're talking about, which is why that record so resonated, is she went to, a, you know, really in like a, an underground producer. I, I keep say, saying that, you know, but like someone who you'd hear in Ibiza and back then Ibiza was more underground. You'd hear like William Orbit at space or whatever. And, um, and, and then she put her, the, the thing that was different, I think she, she had the real stuff of, of the electronic music scene of the time, obviously, because she got you and, but she put herself into it, and that was sort of, I think, what was missing from all the other stuff. In other words, there was like a person at the core of it. There, it, it was, it, it was kind of soul in a way. Yeah, she has, she just, she's capable of writing gigantic top lines. I mean, she, she refer her reference point is musicals. That she loves musicals and knows them all off by heart, and all the, all the songs, all the obscure ones, and that informs her writing. Is you know, she's a terrific top line writer. And she works with terrific top line writers and she's a terrific producer and she works with terrific producers. I mean, she, you know, there's no, once she's kind of got a stake, when she's got skin in the game, she doesn't hold back. You know, she, she, she puts, she, she puts all of her talent in and draws out all the talent she's working with. And where lights an absolute co-production and I'll fight anybody that even suggests otherwise, you know, it's, 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 it, I, you know, I, I wasn't, so caught up in the popness of the, you know, of Madonna, I just saw her as a absolute amazing musician to work with. She got it, you know. That the first time, the first time I went out there, and we started off the first day when, you know, she invited me out to New York to record it. I was a bit wary. I thought, is this going to be naff, you know? And then she, I could tell that just by what she was doing with the music I'd already started off. It's like, no, she's she's musical. She's proper musical. And, and, and the, 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 you know, the reverse works as well. I know that she, it was kind of handy that I was, I knew chords and stuff, you know. I mean, I, I know how this, you know, I have music. I'm not musical, I've got no training, but I've got years of understanding chords and stuff, you know, playing guitar, play instruments, you know, just. Well, yeah, you, you were, you, 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 you learned Hendrix by slowing down Purple Haze, right? Yeah, That's you know, I'm, I'm, I know how it works. Whereas DJs, you know, some of the coolest guys making the best stuff, Stuff that I marvel at often have very little actual musical knowledge. It doesn't matter. They make brilliant tracks, but the point is in the studio, it can get a bit difficult. And I know Madonna's found that frustrating working with DJs who are incredibly talented and brilliant and do brilliant stuff that I can only take my hat off to. But 
can't have that kind of to and fro musical conversation just about the nuts and bolts you know what this section here what let's right. change just it. this is in key this is not in key yeah all that kind of stuff and that helped us you know that was a salvation dynamics you know yeah but i know she got very frustrated with me and fired me tons of times you know and, and <laughs> but it's we hung you know we hung in there and as i say ray of light the song ray of light was the one that got me was ground world i remember ringing her about five times just to say she'd gone home and i was we were finishing off and just and she said William you've got to stop ringing me and telling me how good it is I was just I was just in I was just bubbling about to me when she did drown with her I just I was so happy Frozen too I think has really stayed the test of time I just felt like it was just reached a kind of apotheosis and there was this musician you know and top of it oh she's this icon that has millions and millions of fans but wow look what we just did I was ever so pleased and, 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 and not to be the, you know, but I was talking about this with Morris before. Um, when, when her first records came out, very, very first records, I mean, my, my mom lived in, in New York, you know, in Soho off Canal Street, right? And I was super into like electro, you know, and I heard Madonna and I was like, wow, this is like electro this is like the electro that you hear on canal street for the top 40 you know what i mean like she she'd essentially taken all that danceateria stuff and made it a record you know made it something that that people everywhere could understand and i feel like that's like ray of light it's like she 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 felt in a very visceral way this musical moment happening and and, and she didn't just like fly in like the obvious choices you know what i mean she kind of went a little underground well, that's and the, isn't it? that's that's you know, her gift for sensing the moment um, and translating into into a global thing. I mean, that's that's her genius. You know, I think she's, she's, she's done that throughout her career. Yeah, I mean, multiple times. When she really pops, she's she's sort of channeling something that that I, I, I do remember that I was very involved with KCRW. You know, in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. dating one of the Liza Richardson was my girlfriend and I would spend time there listening I was very you know, did some things for them and they played um, right you know and they were saying we don't normally play Madonna and that kind of college radio or an NPR station playing um, was, was you know and Madonna, Madonna was pleased about that but not that it made a huge difference to the money but it was a good affirmation no it was a cred thing it was like it was a credibility it was like it, it, you know, they were playing Prodigy and stuff. No, you know, it was, I mean, and, and Thievery Corporation. I suppose uh, I could get frustrated in my life that, you know, that was, you could say, well, that's my pinnacle, you know, and that was my moment. And, um, but it was, it did have all the ingredients, you know, it had critical acclaim. It had. You, you've had a few moments, uh, you, you know. Uh, you, you, oh, and CDs, don't forget. This was like we were still in CD world, so you could actually, you know, shift units. Right. Perfect, a perfect storm, if you like. And then, and then, so then, I, I tend to think of um, uh, "Beautiful Stranger" as being sort of then a, the the transition between music and Ray of Light. It's the loudest track, "Beautiful Stranger." I like it, but I can't listen to it because it's so loud. It's mastered so loud. It's so fierce. It's one of the first. Uh, was it brick? What do they call it? Brick walling. Yeah, that's right. In the arms race, the musical sonic arms. Yes, race. the mastering arms race. How loud can it be? Which will then get squashed on the on the on the on the actual radio because there's an additional layer of compression. It just looks like a line on the top of the graph, you know, just make it's just a giant square shape. 
That's what that was an interesting me. record because that was a very postmodern y record. Very, you know, it had it had all the crazy psychedelic stuff. Now, if you just think of the 60s rather than the whole sort of um, cultural um, world and her cultural ecology of the 60s, you just go and look at its flavor, you know, it's sort of it. Beautiful Stranger was a sort of pastiche of a sort of flavor. It was for a pastiche movie. So it, it's immune to the kind of critiquing that you get with American Pie. Because American Pie is a serious, serious historical document, if you like, or a poetic... Of an era. Of an era. Well, Beautiful Stranger is, is nothing of the sort. It, it's, it's a sort of fun tribute. So, so it, also, it also, what I liked about it was it, it tied in, like a lot of the dance music of the day tied in was would, would have little play like fat boy slim would have sort of like psychedelic you know like samples um some of the earlier rave stuff uh you know so it, it kind of was this cool bridge to oh, fat boy slim's tracks are oh, just sound great to me they just he's got something that bad i remember when he was in the house martins house martins I went to see him, so a friend took me to see him and he was just, just only barely, I think he barely invented his persona of Fat Boy Slim and it was this, this, this guy playing this awesome stuff and my friend said, that's the dude out of the house, Martin. And I was thinking, and Beats <laughs> International as well. Oh, I loved Beats International. Uh, dub, dub Be Good To Me? Oh yeah, my d- God. D- oh, here's a dub. Just, just looking on, the, on my page <clears throat> here, there's the credits for the original American Pie and it's, it's got the vocal, the chorus is credited as the West 44th Street Rhythm and Noise Choir. <laughs> I like that. It sounds like something more from, that sounds like something more sort of, uh, it, from, from decades later. More like Sonic later. Youth. Yeah. Or, or it's actually probably, it's probably like the Fugs or the Holy Modal Rounders or something, you know, like that kind of scene, that kind of ragtag. That, that was further downtown there. It wouldn't have been West Forty Fourth. Well, West Forty Fourth, those Manny's. So that's where all the that's where all the instrument um, stores are, and, and a lot of the studios. Mm-hmm. Didn't hear people using the word noise. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't expect no. noise on a credits for, for Don McLean set a record of the sixties. Noise wasn't um, celebrated so much in mainstream pop. And then, and so, so going from ray of light to music, which again, we're talking about that transition. Tell me about that transition, and because because again, someone someone said. I, I remember reading it, and it really hit. It really hit um, the nail on the head. Was like, you know, Mirway was obviously bringing something really fresh to to music, but you brought that kind of emotionalism to that Madonna. You and Madonna, and again, I think this like you when you worked with Beth Orton, um, and you've worked with sort of folky singers. Uh, they bring it's 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 like they don't reduce themselves to like a. Um, not a vocoder, but you know what I mean? Like a lot of times you'll have a very organic singer and, and a real singer. It, um, it is all about the emotion when I make music. I mean, you might think I'm a electronic and it's a bit cold and calculating, but every sound, everything has to have this emotional resonance, resonance everything, every little component. I mean, that's how, I, that's how I, that's what fuels me. It's an emotional thing. It's what, how do I feel? And I get, you know, every, every little component makes me feel a certain way. It becomes a very making music is emotional. It's a very emotional thing, and um, that's what I live for with vocals. I love to record singers, and I love vocals. It's I love the human voice, and I'm listening for the emotion. I'm listening for something that just resonates and pulls that string inside one. That's that's what I want to hear. 
I think I guess that you get that vibe in the studio. Um, so, yeah. So tell me about that. And Madonna, Madonna is when she sings, she's acting. You know, she, she you know, she's an actress too. But it's when she really acts is when she sings. When she she performs. I mean, I've always thought when she's on the mic, it's it's a, it's a performance. And so she she inhabits the role of anything she sings. And yeah, like Gangbang, actually, I think was was like she was like acting like a Tarantino character, sort of. Exactly. Exactly. And she can really do. Um, you know, she can really do inhabit. I mean, when somebody's, I, I think um, Rihanna's the same. You know, you, you get you you uh, have this kind of chameleon quite quality that can sort of really inhabit the persona of a song. Often, it's got to do with the person that maybe maybe was involved with writing it in the first place. I've often thought with Madonna's uh, images, you know, often I think, that looks like so-and-so, that looks like so-and-so. She has such a different, so, she's so chameleonic. She's got so many different looks that she can inhabit. And it's the same with her vocals. Um, and she's not, you know, she hasn't really been back to that place. I think we just caught her at a time when she was ready to be a bit tousled, a bit raw. Um, she doesn't like surprises. Well, she wanted to dance, and I remember she was very, she was just sort of discovering the Kabbalah and also yoga, and and I think that that really, you know, those are those are one dance is her roots, right? Like, and then she, you know, even if again, like I said before, like even if you don't understand the spiritual aspect, it's there. You know what I mean? There's something bigger there driving it and 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 dance music is spiritual music i mean i, I was very well I'm, I'm not a spiritual person per se necessarily but that track drowned world when i first cooked up what you know it's original back in my little studio in north london that was as spiritual as i get you know it, i felt as this this sunshine this warm embrace these long swords of green meadow in a kind of memory haze of warm, mellow regret, if you like, and happiness. And I really felt that very much. And, and I think she picked up on that too. The great thing for me is that, you know, I could trust her musically. She, could, she picked up all the right cues and took it, you know, we made it, she got it right. It could have been a disaster. It, no, um, it. With, so getting back to American Pie and, and kind of the, like we were talking about the transition, I, I think of two quotes when I think of sort of the reaction to American Pie. Um, and it's uh, Robert De Niro was asked to play Jesus Christ in The Last Temptation of Christ. And he's like, it's impossible to play Christ. Well, pe people are going to bring their own baggage to it. And I think that, that American Pie, the song, is kind of like that too. It's like, and then, and then also it's a hard song to sing. I mean, I think that there's, it's just, crazy meters crazy sometimes it's spoken he'll, he'll sing a little bit like buddy holly at times um it's it's challenging and then and then at the same time it's it's audacious it's an audacious choice it's kind of uh it, it, you know when the, the song though you know it it starts off and it's very um intimate with don mclean and there's that piano and when it kicks off it's like well, hey, you know, it's it's um it's a pop. I mean, Buddy Holly was a was a pop musician, and uh, so so you know, it's it's not terrible to make give it a pop kind of bounce to it all. I, I, do, I there is too much Rupert. It's a little bit it's a little bit gratuitous Rupert. I think a bit of Rupert. Uh, 
editing, uh, <laughs> sub-copying sub down, sub-editing on the Rupert would have been a good idea, but hey, it was in the can, it was done, it was, can't go back. Well, and then that's the other thing. So it, it was such an audacious choice of a song that it's kind of even, even how can I say this? I, I, I interviewed Chris Cornell once and he said, he said, Soundgarden, we, if you came to see us, we wanted to be either the greatest band you've ever seen or the worst. And anything in the, we didn't want somebody to go, yeah, it was okay. You know what I mean? Um, it, I happen to think that Super Unknown is one of the best ever productions ever made. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Piece of music as a production. I, I also know that it took a long time. I mean, because I, I, my manager was managing, I think, the engineer, all the producers. Uh, I, I, he, you know, there was a connection, and I, mm -hmm. I mentioned it. I've never met Chris Cornell. I actually do have a voicemail. He called up my voicemail once for some reason. I don't know why. When I was living in California, Chris Cornell, believe it or not, called my voicemail. Hey. But anyway, um, I, I mentioned about that track and how I held it in such high esteem, and, and I was told that it took a long time, a really long time to do. And that's the truth about um, songs, they feel like a fait accompli to the listener, but they, they can take so long. But Pure Shores by all songs took a long time. That track I produced. Pure Shores. Pure Shores. Great you song. Know, I did Electrical Storm. Um, on, on YouTube it says William Orbit Remix. Actually, I produced it. They've got the credit wrong. It took an awfully long time, months, uh, going back. Chesney is a real songwriter. Oh, she, she's, yeah, she's something. Uh, she's a real songwriter. But it, it took a lot of going and, and whereas American Pie didn't just going back to American Pie American Pie wasn't one of those ones where we came back and you slaved over it say again you didn't you didn't slave like like in Ray of Light you were kind of like finding the kind of John Coltrane like I don't know you know what I mean like um, the amount of it was like a jam a jam and you were like channeling this thing and Ray of Light was I mean American Pie was like you kind of gave it your all, but you had to do it very fast. And Well, uh, you know, just the amount of man hours spent on Ray of Light, the whole album is enormous, you know, and uh, uh, yes, they're a jam. This is, hey, this is how you make a good record. You, you, you spend inordinate amount of man hours, you know, grafting and chiseling and sort of, you know, the ecology of the song and um, everything. But you also have some bits when it's real time, A to B, top to bottom, you jam it down and you keep that too. And you've got this fusion of total, you can hear the adrenaline in the song, but it's also laid in, it's like a jewel, laid, you know, that's forged in a moment, you know, laid into this very, very crafted um, setting. Well, isn't there that the Marius de Vries track you did, your song, and, and you did with him, and there's like this bit that you did not want in the song? And... Oh my God, when Marius came, he brought a Pro Tools. He was really sophisticated. He had like proper gear. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I don't know how any of this works. I'm totally at sea. It was these great big Apple Mac computers and it was very sophisticated. And I, I did feel very much like I was really homemade. It was quite an eye opener. Of course, subsequently I learned Pro Tools. I mean, but you have to just sort of accept, at some point the song has to either be done or canned. You know it's Madonna, mean? you know, she's very expeditious. She won't allow a sort of random walk. You, you, you work on this track and we're going to work on this track tomorrow and damn it, we're going to work on it until it's done. In short order, if you don't mind. I know you'd love to work on this other track you'd like to work on, but we're going to do this one. That's what we're going to do. And the hammer, you know, is, is banging. And um, we, that's how we work. It was very, you know, she really is a taskmaster and rightfully so. And so she says when it's done... 
she says when it's done or we finished the album early which is something that never happened in my life everything always goes over and we actually finished you know we pushed so hard we actually had a sort of week ahead of the final deadline unbelievably wow. like wow this is unbelievable that's the first but, but she the has the final she has the final say though on like when it's done oh yeah of course yeah Never, we never had any contretemps. You know, typically, you know, if, it, it, very, you know, we were in such an accord with it. Um, but I do remember if there was something that I just really didn't think would fly, it more like I'd give a certain look, you know, I would sort of put a long face and she'd be like, and then, it, you know, that's how, you know, it wasn't um, like I would have to sort of say, I need to have a step aside out the room this, uh, and, you know, we need to talk about this because I really disagree. That never happened. It was, it was totally in accord. I just loved her decision-making. Um, but she, of course, had the final say as an artist, and as a particularly self-determining artist as well. But I've got no problem with it. I listen to the album Ray of Light, and there's none of that, oh, I wish we'd done it a different way. I just don't have that. You know, so so American Pie, Madonna's, your version with Madonna was controversial. How did you feel when th- people started saying, like, this is the worst cover song of all time, and there was a, there was a poll from the BBC... To answer your question, I wasn't connected in any shape or form. I had no idea. I, I didn't know. I, I knew when Frozen went to number one because we were on tour together and the manager came up, manager came up uh, when we were in a hotel and said, hey, you're number one. But I, was, you can't, I can't put across how much I, I still am to this day utterly disconnected from all that kind of thing. I didn't know, didn't care. So I didn't know. And neither would it have bothered me. It was done. Um, I was in a bubble. I was living in a, a canyon, Mandeville Canyon in Los Angeles with my girlfriend and just not thinking about all that. So, and, and, and press, I'm very squeamish about it. I can't bear to read a good or bad. So, so I didn't even know there was this poll. This makes me chuckle now. Well, I also think about it too, American Pies. It reminds me kind of like of U2. Like some, like U2s are, 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 they're going big. You know what I mean? And when they go big, when they make a statement, Nine, you know, like, and I was thinking, I was looking, like, most of their statements connect. When they don't, it's it's a big thing, but it's kind of it's memorable in this way. You're you're kind of glad they went there. Does that make sense? It's one of the great things about you too is the size of them, the huge of everything to do with them. You know, yeah, just- it, and well, that's like Madonna too. So it's like, you know, this was a controversial record, but. It, that's what that's Madonna makes people debate. Madonna makes people say, you know, she's controversial. What, that's what she, she's what, provocative. Yeah, she she is a naturally provocative person. She's she's a she's very perverse, and and you, you just have to see that when she's on any kind of TV show. You know, she's it's kind of those. Oh my God, that's awkward, but just kind of somebody had to do it, and I believe. I believe that's her way. It's that, uh, I, I know her personally, and that's how she is as a person. She pushes buttons and is always going to go for the, you know, the reaction that isn't the one expected. She just she likes to just cause. She's a sort of gadfly, if you like, and that's her way. And it's her way as a person, and with her artistry, and it's her nature. And I'm sure she was the one in the class at school was always saying the one thing that nobody else would, you know, would. would would say out loud um so I, you know we're going to do uh the next one we're doing is barbara streisand's cover of life on mars oh crikey 
<laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Heard it? It's, it's, hey it's, guys, what what would be your ideal cover uh, to fit the the, the, the you know disinfect? Who would imagine one? Can you imagine your ideal fantasy lead awful cover? What would that be? Well, well the first one was uh, Paul Young's version of Love Will Tear Us Apart. I listened to, which is pretty incredible. Um, but again, it's an it's a it, it it's not just that it's terrible. It's that it it makes us think about stuff. Do you know what I mean? It makes you. But debate. I listened to Moby, and he was having a hard time dissing it. You, you know, know, but again, that that's some of the some, like like, and kind of even what we were talking about, like Barbara Streisand doing. Like, I'm kind of glad, even though it's totally insane. I'm glad that Barbara Streisand covered Life on Mars. You know what I mean? Okay, I'm going <laughs> to give you one. I wouldn't like to see hmm, Little Mix do a cover of Castles Made of Sand by Jimi Hendrix. I've Who did you of, say? I didn't, I didn't hear Little, you. Little Mix is a British... Oh, Little Mix. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, I, no, 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 I don't mean to impugn them, but I would, I, would, I would choose for them not to do a cover version of Castles Made of Sand by Jimi Hendrix. That's my fantasy league. Not, you know, did they or, do that? No, it's, I'm just imagining it. <laughs> so now you the have worst to... scenarios. Now you have to produce it. <laughs> William, you've got to you, turn you, this... You've put it out there. there. I could actually no, I could, I could put, I could re- actually, I could really do a castles really, made uh, of sand. Yeah, that's a great. <laughs> so that's like a holy relic to you, basically. That's a song that. Uh, yeah, and I probably wouldn't suggest we have any kind of embellishments from um, our friend Rupert on it. <laughs> with so little mix with backing <laughs> vocals by Rupert Everett. No lead vocals. <laughs> put him on lead. <laughs> I've I've been thinking about cover versions. Well, of course, I was reminded that you know Madonna. And we did the version of the ABBA song, which is actually probably on the internet somewhere. It's called. That's got to come out. I mean, it has to come out. It's a great well, idea. Was, she spent a lot on the orchestra, that's for sure. Um, um, it was a rare. So last on the last on the visitors, the you know very introspective, very moody, dark album that ABBA made. I love ABBA. Me too. Me I've too. been to the museum. <laughs> Have you been to the ABBA museum? It's one of the greatest. It's it's amazing in no. Stockholm. In Stockholm, it is unbelievable. Uh, you get to take a you can you can take a photo in the helicopter, <laughs> the arrival helicopter. Yeah, the arrival I, helicopter. It's I so great. Up, I, I could one up that, but I won't. I'll choose to <laughs> now. Do it. Uh, what I won't do is I won't mention how I was uh, hanging out with, um, you know, with um, the man. Bjorn. Yeah. No, no. Yes. Uh, Benny Anderson. Benny. Ben, well, oh, yeah. I, I love Benny. I had this girlfriend who was obsessive with it. I didn't care for Abbott at school, um, and she was obsessed. In the beginning days of eBay, and for presents, I would get her obscure singles. She would tell me about Abba's pre-Abba days, uh, the Hep Stars, the Hootenanny Singers, and so I would get her, I'd buy for her presents for her on eBay, these obscure singles. So I got to know a lot about Abba, and this girl, this lady, Tracy her name was, introduced me to this other project, this record that... that that Benny Anderson made with an orchestra called Klinger Minor Klocker, which is beautiful sh- Swedish Schlagen. So when I went to Sweden, Stockholm, and, and went to meet him, I was able to d- say, oh, I know, I love your Benny Anderson orchestra stuff and Schlagen and all that stuff like that. So we had a really quite good old chat, you know. I mean, he's, he, was, he had the most marvellous studio. He, it was like all this old gear that was beautifully maintained. And he was a very, very nice man. He just loves music and he makes happy music. And I now adore Abba. Anyway, but they did this very sad album called The Visitors when they were breaking up and Madonna covered a song called um, Like an Angel Passing Through My Room and never got released. So there's another cover we did, but didn't make it. But I'm thinking about covers and I just realized I did a cover version of Funky Tale with Maya. Oh, wow. 
Not M I A. M I A. Wow. No, 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 no. Maya. M Y A. Maya. M Y A. Okay. Yes, I remember. I've interviewed Maya. Yeah. Yeah. She she did a really bang up job, and we did this song. We did Funky Town in a very kind of weird. That's a odd version, I have to say. It's really, really got some crazy electronics in it, and it's never been out. I mean, that's not. I dialed it up on YouTube. It's not even there. Oh man, really? I've got so many tracks in the can. One day, one day. It's yeah, you know, it's funny that the 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 most egregious cover. What could it be? I mean, again, I, I'm hung up on level tears apart. It 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 freaked me out. A lot depends on if they take liberties badly with the actual melodic DNA of the song. Yes, they change a chord. Yes. Ouch! Or they change a note gratuitously, and or they they miss out cool little moments in between instrumental things that you love i mean that, that, that can happen you know you, you get a cover version now with, with american pie we, we didn't i'll be honest with you normally if i do a cover i i want to get uh, by the way torch song we did a cover of venus and first which is really bad no no sorry right. Laurie, mm-hmm. but, you know um yeah not right but so yeah your covers you you got love my way venus and furs i'm trying to think of some I of your other try to kind of like know or do pay respect to all the little musical flourishes in a song like if you were to do say for oh, and obviously you, you did you did all the you did the classical records which are all exactly covers, right? but I, we didn't with american pie it was really like doing it blind i can't i can't tell you blind i mean i never made a point of listening to the original which i would normally do so you didn't was, really transpose it. I mean, you can, you have the root chords sort of, right? Just but, the chords, right. But beyond that, there was no sense of getting little flourishes and doing all that. Um, yeah, like it, it, it kind of threw the entire arrangement out of the, out the window. Yeah, it's just pretty crap. Okay, it's fair enough. <laughs> <It deserves a laughs> no, no, no. But I, I think, again, like it's, it's kind of, that's why it kind of touched a nerve. But then that's kind of crazy punk rock to do that. You know what I mean? If you, I was listening in the cards to the song by Cat Stevens, um, Wild World, um, what's it called? Ooh, baby, Wild baby. World, Wild World. And, you know, I'm sure covers would be done of that, but you, you, if you did a cover that didn't have the little instrumental bits, you know, like, do, do, mm. do. He was a very idiosyncratic uh, guitarist. Exactly. Well, you, you, if you did a song without those instrumental phrases in between each vocal line, you know, you'd be, people would be the ears would be hurting for not to hear it and you'd have to do them now you know getting back to hendrix now hey joe of course is a cover people don't cover hendrix do they you just, no, just well, but you know it's interesting dylan said that hendrix is his favorite interpreter he said hendrix's covers of dylan are the only ones that he likes of well, his dylan's own famous for making his live performance of all along the watchtower like the hendrix version as if Dylan was covering the Hendrix version. Yeah. Hendrix was an incredible interpreter, like like Sinatra. Yeah, well, it's interesting because of the phrasing of Dylan. I mean, you know, Hendrix's vocal phrasing is very Dylan-esque and it's half-spoken. And Oh, very, 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 yeah. He was very, I mean, he was a huge Dylan fan. Um, it's, uh, so, so any, any, should we wind up here or, or I mean, I, I could, I could go on for centuries and I could, you know, we should hit our final chorus and, uh, and get into the coda. <laughs> you don't, we don't tend to say this, but just never underestimate the power of a good tune. Right. It's like art, you know, everybody, nobody has to talk about beauty, you know, everybody's paragraphs and paragraphs of exposition about, you know, art, but people rarely say, do you know what? 
it's just pretty. It just sits on my eye. I just like looking at it because it's beautiful. No one ever says that, you know, it's like, if that's <laughs> over and done with, it's like, no, no, you need to not say that. Say anything but that. That's the eye, the invisible eye of the storm. We'll talk all around it. And it, it, this, it's a good tune. Don yeah. McLean wrote a good tune. It's like the notes sit in the right place. It's got a sing-along quality. That's 50% of it. He says that we don't ever say that. He's, he wrote an incredible tune, but then again, like Ray of Light, it's, he puts so much of himself into it it's so memorable like like we like you said melodically but it's it's it and again it, it's audacious like he's absolutely made of it must be must be gazillions gazillions oh my god i mean uh you know and then he had madonna goosing it to number one in finland and everywhere else you know and slovenia yeah <laughs> we, we said Belarus. that you know <laughs> Madonna's not that covered as well, actually. She's not really that covered as compared to some other artists. That's so true. Perhaps I think people are too respectful of Madonna's version and don't want to tread on it, but they don't yeah. really do it. Come on, guys, there's some covers out there. Everybody can do some, help yourself. Go on in there. Feel free. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Oh, well, well Sonic Youth covered Madonna, and it was kind of amazing. I did a cover of Like a Version with the Lords of the New Church back in Oh, 19- fantastic. I love Lords of the New Church. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was done. Uh, Miles Copeland um, made that happen. You know, he introduced them. He came round. And it's Stiff Baters was in it. Is that right? Uh, of course. Yeah, yeah. From the Dead Boys. He and uh, and Dave, Dave Parsons from Sham 69. I'd never seen heavy drinking in my life before. I just, <laughs> I, I, I was a young hippie. I lived in squats. It was all about heavy smoking weed, you know, drinking. Yeah. I'd, well, I had seen it. I'd been drunk and fallen over enough times. But this man in the studio who, who couldn't do the vocal until he'd had a bottle of Jack, you know, at, at noon, it was just shocking. And then there was a, it was very, dis, it was very disrespectful. Um, a, we did a, we needed to have a big burp at the end. And the only person that could do a really juicy belch was, was one of the junior tape ops at my studio. And we recorded that. It was a, did you do the whole Lords of the New Church album? No, no, no. Just this, like a virgin. I mean, at the time Madonna was, Having, it was like 88 or something. Probably. 80, no, 83, 84. Wow. Other end of the 80s, 85. Now, now you got me thinking, like, who's, who has covered Madonna other than Sonic Youth and Lords of the New Church? Which, so it's, again, like, it's all punk. It's all, like, really, like, aggressive. Oh, in, oh wait, wasn't there uh, KMFDM, I think, maybe? Like, there's a super industrial. But again, it's, 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 like, it's like extreme music. You know what I mean? That's the only way to do it. I just typed in, I just typed in, Beautiful Stranger cover. There's like 10 people. (laughs) (laughs) The Lounge O'Leas, John L, Motor Industries, Blah, 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 goes all the way down. Well, how about that? I'm going to make a point of listening to them all. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, thank you so much. And uh, I have to do the last question. What's new to your painting? What what else are you working on? Well, I'm rounding up about six years of music I've been doing, some of it's classically more orchestral and putting it on a SoundCloud and actually thinking of actually making it available for people to hear. That's what I'm doing right now. Fantastic. Bit of looking backwards, if you like. Yeah, I've got, I've got basically a quintuple album, which basically I'm, I don't know what to do with. I mean, I'm, I'm in an existential sort of pit of everybody else, you know, with COVID and I got into quite a lot of trouble. I mean, I'm kind of a bit bonkers and I'm still just climbing out of that, inching out from under the duvet. So I don't know what I'm doing, really. Just I'm in my little bubble, just 
<laughs> just doing what I always do is just sort of float along in my own slipstream and who knows? I've no idea what the future holds ever any time in my life. I don't think anybody does at the moment. Uh, especially now, yeah. <laughs> no, nobody does. Disinfect was created by Morris Bernstein and Matt Deal. Produced by Sean Lewis and Esther Yoon. Theme music by Jeremy Clark. A.K.A. Mr. 66 Artwork by Bill McMullen A.K.A. Billions Make Billions If you want to tell us how much you love or hate Disinfect or wish to purchase An extremely overpriced commemorative mug Oven mitt or t-shirt Please find us on Facebook Instagram, Twitter, and DisinfectPodcast.com You can also contact us at info at DisinfectPodcast.com Please like, subscribe, donate, all that shit. Thank you and see you next episode to Disinfect more of music's worst songs wherever fine podcasts are shilled copyright giant step 2020 and whatever other necessary boilerplate legal mumbo jumbo blah 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 you hear at the end of your favorite podcasts